Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have Charles Eisenstein here with me from Providence in the U.S. state of Rhode Island. Welcome to my podcast, Charles. Hey, it's great to be here. Um, thanks for inviting me, Vesna. Thanks. And I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed. And that is actually thanks to my friend, Marcus Lecto, who pointed me in your direction. You are a writer, speaker, and uh, the author of uh, several books, including The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. And I know that your, your work covers quite a wide range of topics, uh, like history of human civilization, economics, uh, spirituality, and also the ecology uh, movement. And I think uh, topics, um, all of those are something that I believe leaders today really need to understand to evolve their companies. So I'm just curious, right now, do you have like a core question or something that you are working on or pondering right now? What is my next role to play here? I feel like I've kind of completed uh, part of my journey. I recognize that because probably you've had experienced this and other people have experienced running a course of passion. And when you reach the end of what you were passionate about, you maybe no longer feel so excited to do that thing. And maybe you go through a phase of continuing to push yourself to do the thing that you tell yourself is important, but your heart isn't in it anymore. And so I'm, I'm listening to that and pulling back a little bit sometimes anyway, and then like I get caught up again. But I think it's important to recognize the moment where you reach a crossroads. Right now, a lot of my deep inquiry has gone um, internal, not so much about how can I solve this problem in the world and what can I do about this and that and how do I understand things? But the inner dimension of all of these questions has become a lot more relevant to me right in the last two years, really. Our culture has a certain idea of success uh, that's defined by a goal. And if you don't have a goal, if you can't articulate your vision statement and your mission statement, then the prejudice is that you're kind of lost and that you got to get it together and formulate your goals and state your passion and so forth. And that's true at a certain point in the journey, but it is not true at other points of the journey. There, there are times where you have to step into the space of unknowing and allow the time for a new direction to become apparent. And if you fight that process, then you're going to get depressed. So, yeah, I just want to say this because I know that that this podcast and, and a lot of the people that you work with, um, they're immersed in an environment that holds success very highly. And maybe they want to transition from financial success. Well, maybe not discarding that, but in addition, they want like some other kind of success. But there even comes a point where all of that feels a little stale and Success as, as this process of attaining a goal isn't the right way to orient in a certain moment. Honestly, you know, that's where I am right now. But also what everybody is somehow 
after different points in their lives were almost constantly is this kind of, we want some kind of change, right? Something for the better. But for something to change, then you need to have something to be lost. Um, and then there is this, at the same time, this attachment to how things are. People are not ready to kind of sacrifice something, right? For, for whatever change they're, they're wishing for. And then they're fighting with with exiting from some kind of comfort zone uh, in order to create change and so on. So yeah. what do you think about that? I mean, what is the key to change that we are looking for? And we, we would love others to help us change, uh, not the least, uh, you know, leaders. Uh, so this is an important question of leadership. Like, I'm glad you asked, you know, for oneself and for others, because it's really the same thing. It is to recognize and give attention to the the readiness and the willingness to change. And sometimes you're not ready. Or sometimes there's part of you that's ready to make a change and part of you that isn't ready. And sometimes even giving non-coercive attention to the part of you that isn't ready will make you ready because it completes a process. I remember one time I was doing some workshop exercise with a, with a man and it was a beautiful little exercise. You could ask any question and your partner had to answer in five words or less, strictly five words or less, no cheating. And so one thing I asked him, I, I said, what habit or flaw do you have that you just don't feel ready to change? You don't feel ready to give it up. You wish you could, but you don't feel ready, honestly. And he said, internet porn. And I said then, okay, and what habit do you feel that you are ready to give up right now? And he said, internet porn. In the space of five seconds, he became ready. And then our normal success-oriented mindset would say, okay, let me hold you accountable to that. Let's build some kind of commitment around that. But both of us understood that what needed to happen had happened. Consciousness came to something where it had been absent before. So as a leader, you know, instead of trying to incentivize and bribe and threaten people into change, through which we become a tyrant, uh, and, and it becomes a constant battle to try to get the results from people you work with that they don't really want to do on some level, the leader can recognize what each person is ready for and what they're not ready for. And to be honest first with yourself about, well, about that in yourself and in other people, and then be honest with them. And you say, or you maybe even you pose it as a question, are you really ready to make this kind of change? And to have a non-judgmental space of listening, because it is that non-judgmental space that allows the evolution to happen. You know, there, this, this word passion that we use so frequently nowadays what's your passion and, you know, things like that, follow it and so on. It really, you know, comes from this old Latin word patire, which is, means to suffer. So what is your, in that sense, passion? What I'm willing to uh, suffer for is the discovery of what is the next thing that is mine to do. Great. Which brings out actually an important point, I think, that we don't have to keep doing the same thing all over and over again. We can start new chapters. There will be some kind of red line, of course, yeah. going through it. But there is new chapters, new things, new ways that we can serve if we are curious. I've been a keynote speaker at a coaching conference. 
And one presentation after another, people would come up and here's our method, you know, and here's our success stories. And every success story was this company increased its revenues by 35% and that and that CEO like or the executive got promoted and and I was like I would like to see a success story where the CEO left his company and traveled the world playing the guitar for 2 years. I, I would like to see a success like some other story that doesn't fit the conventional metrics, you know. I said that would inspire me. Yeah, just to see that that it's 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 a human being that has been through different journeys and discoveries and explored a lot. And I think one important thing about le- leading today is really to dare to lead people to places where they, nobody has ever been, right? Yeah. And you will never take that step if you're in the box. Yeah, that takes courage. It's much easier to lead people to places that all of society says are, are worthy. And that's really great. And yes, we applaud you for going to this place and leading people there. But that's not actually what's needed the most today. Where we need to go the most today are places where you may not get rewarded. You may not get celebrated. That's why they're hard to go. But that's how real change happens, especially on a broader social level. So yeah, you're right. It takes it takes courage to go there. And if somebody's listening now and saying, yeah, okay, we understand, but how? Like there is no method. There is no step one, two, three, right? You have to explore it yourself. That's right. There's no map. If there was already a map, then it wouldn't really require leadership to get there. Not the same kind of leadership. Charles, are there any one or two kind of transformational points, probably many more in your life that has really influenced you a lot? Uh, Many. Um, I'd say probably the biggest was when after I graduated from university and I went to Taiwan, lived there for nine years, but especially in my first year there, encountering such a different reality, you know, such a different cultural reality, but even more than cultural, having experiences that just didn't fit into my picture of what the world is and what human beings are and what's possible in the world. It was very, on the one hand, humbling. Wow, I don't really know as much as I thought. But on the other hand, really affirming. Like I knew it. There's a feeling I knew that there was more than what I was being told. I knew it. And here's confirmation. So that would be one, you know, and it also kind of punctured the ideas about success and how to live life and what the trajectory was. I was like, oh, maybe not. You know, I can live many, many other lives that weren't on the original menu. So yeah, that would be a a formative experience. I'm just curious, how come you you went there? (laughs) Well, I originally went while I was still at university because I was just so unhappy there. And then after university, I graduated and I hadn't done anything to build a resume or to get into graduate school or law school or medical school or Wall Street or corporations or the civil service, nothing. I was completely lazy. I did pretty well academically, but I just couldn't make myself go through the, the jump through the hoops, you know? So there I was and I'm like, well, I loved it in Taiwan. I'll just go back. I'll go back there. 
and while we are touching on education, actually, I think that's one of the number one areas that needs to be transformed in order to get the right kind of leaders that we need, right? Yeah. Most education is not actually education and leadership because throughout school, and I don't know if it's different in, in Italy or Sweden or, or other places, but most places that I know about, uh, it is education is training in going through a curriculum created by other people. It is training in listening to authority. It's training in looking to authority for the correct answers. None of those are leadership qualities. So many of us, like that's why a lot of leaders actually were like school dropouts and stuff. And for the rest of us who have been overeducated in that sense, uh, there's a certain amount of unlearning to do in order to uncover our leadership abilities. That's so, that's so true. And I think that the secret superpower is when, when people can feel that work has meaning and that the company and their leader cares about them. And when those two like conditions meet, then you, you also you, you get the best from people, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just something that just popped up in my mind. I don't always want to be a leader. You know, I actually enjoy being a follower when I trust the leader. And I like being told what to do when I trust the person telling me what to do. If I care about what we're all doing together, we really valorize leadership in this culture because it's so competitive, because maybe even of the structure of the economy. But I think it actually will make you a more effective leader if your goal isn't leadership, but it's more of when purpose calls me to leadership, I will lead. And if it does not call me to leadership, I don't need to be on top because what I'm serving is a purpose beyond myself, not my own ambition to be a leader. Paradoxically, that makes you a better leader when you have no ambition to be a leader. No, exactly. And all the good examples I think we would state of people that we think are great leaders are, they just, that was a byproduct. Uh, that was not their right. intention, right? It came from a deeper place from their conviction about why something is important and why it should be worked for. My, for example, reason about being very much and working very much with leaders is because I'm thinking if I can influence and help those that are in charge, they can influence so many more. But as you say, the power lies in every individual out there, um, of course, and not only on the leaders. But I was more thinking about that's the most efficient way to influence is via the leaders. Where am I? When people ask me, you know, who are your biggest influences, Charles? <laughs> Honestly, it's people that you will never hear of. It was a part-time nanny that we had when, uh, when we had our first baby, you know, that was just so full of love, even though she could barely read and write, that it had a profound influence on me. Or a motorcycle mechanic in Taiwan that would hire ex-convicts for his motorcycle shop and was just so friendly that... He could just transform any situation with his good nature. Like those people, I can't like say that they gave me any special teaching or anything like that, but just their presence, their being made me who I am. Like I might be a much worse person if it weren't for these humble, anonymous grannies and humble people 
yeah, like this world does not work through the mechanisms of power that we think it does. That's what I've learned anyway. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. But going back to this um, thing that we call business or companies and so on as an instrument. So is there like a long-term, I don't know, formula or something that we can say that you believe in for, for business? The primary way that human beings change the world is through their agreements. You can do something with your own hands, but if you want to build, build anything beyond that, you need to organize other people to do it. Companies are one of the main ways that we do that today. So they are a primary instrument of our creative power. And then the question is, what are you serving? Now we live in a, in a economic environment that gives a lot of pressure to serve profit maximization. And therefore it requires some kind of leadership and some kind of commitment to something else in order to use a company for some other purpose. That's a, a challenge, a difficulty that we face. But fundamentally, you know, here we have a group of people who can come into coherency around a vision, around a goal, uh, around an idea, or maybe more than one. You know, it could be profitability is one of them. But yeah, this is one of the main tools of creativity that we have available to us at this time. So yeah, like just like on that really basic level, business is powerful. Yeah. The beautiful thing is that people are there eight or more hours a day. So yeah. it's, it's an excellent opportunity to really show that you care to, to evolve them as human beings in that environment for everybody's sake, right? So right. for those that manage to do that, uh, I think that's uh, such a beautiful thing. And I think the core concept there is really uh, caring. And because I think that when people are cared for and feel cared for, they're also like tapping into and bringing 100% of themselves to work. Yes. So if you could give like one piece of advice to, to leaders uh, now, what would that be? One of my favorite sayings was by, uh, I believe it was Emerson. He said, it takes two to speak the truth, one to speak and one to hear, which means that if I say something as a formula for all leaders, it might be true for some and not for another. It's, it's a very personal relationship, truth. In these times, and maybe in all times, the most important quality of leadership is to understand the purpose of a human being, which is to serve life and beauty in the world, to be an instrument of the evolution and healing and becoming of the world. And also that each person carries a necessary gift for the evolution of the totality. If as a leader, if you stand firmly in that knowing and look at each person you work with through those eyes, knowing maybe you can't see it right away, but you're looking for it. What is the unique gift that this person has? And to know of the people you work with that on a deep level, they want to give their gift to the world. So what is that gift? And then as a leader, you're the one who creates opportunities for them to give their gifts and to understand yourself. That is what I am doing. That is what leadership is. I create opportunities for others to give their gifts. I help them discover what those gifts are. I help them develop those gifts. Then you will be a powerful leader. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for that. And it's always easy to give um, you know, advice 
to oneself maybe when you look back and I say, oh, I should have done that or I should have whatever. Do you have any of those advice to give yourself like 10, 15, whatever years ago? I would try to find some way to remind myself about what's really precious in life and that every gathering of human beings only happens once and that under the disguise of it's a company, it's a business, it's a meeting, actually it is a gathering of divine beings and it's precious and that's what's really happening. Whatever you think is happening, this is divine souls intersecting in a special moment. You know, we divide the, our lives into the professional realm and the intimate realm. But this is an artificial division and it's actually a false division. To work with somebody is actually quite intimate. You know, you are both devoting your precious life energy, your precious time towards something together. You know, in this short life, like you have nothing else but your time. That's the only thing that you can say is yours. So to give some of that time to other people or with other people towards something, like that's a sacred gift because you have a limited amount of time on this earth. So I would like to go back to my past self and even my present self and elevate that consciousness. That's beautiful. Thank you. It's really important, which also makes me say to you also, thank you for this time that we're spending now with the podcast together. I see that as a gift as well. How important is vision for us, you know, having a dream? Because sometimes I feel like in our daily lives, we are working with, you know, problems and we're looking for solutions and we are like moving around in that area, which is good. But at the same time, I would like everybody kind of detach from the problem soup that we are always simmering in somehow and detach from that and fly up all the way up to a place where we can express what is like the future, what is the world we would like to live in? How does it look like? How does it smell like? Who's there? What's happening there, right? Um, without the burden of uh, what we have now and to be able to express that and then together move backwards engineering wise with different steps to say, okay, in order to get there, we need to do this and this and this individually and collectively, of course. Is that a naive way of thinking about it? And sometimes I'm frustrating why we're not more often in that, in that space, <laughs> stretching ourselves to be able to express that. Or is the human mind, do you think, not able to somehow express that future we wish to see evolve? One thing that's going on here is that the future that we sense is possible. This is the theme of my book, or one of my books, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. It's actually so beautiful and so foreign to the current normality that we actually have trouble expressing it, describing it. Uh, maybe it's impossible from where we stand right now to fully describe it. And when we try, it seems maybe like cliche, it seems idealistic, it doesn't have the ring of truth. Yet we know that there is something there because we have caught glimpses of that future in certain peak moments of our lives, whether, you know, personally or in a group. Could be when you see like a group really in flow where every person is fully dedicated to something that the group shares and everybody is enacting their gifts and they're just being in the right place at the right time, effortlessly cooperating and you're like, yeah, this is how it could be. This is real. 
this is a promise of what the future could be, not just some fluke. But to, to imagine what the world would actually look like based on that. And then even if you can, so so if it's not too distant, if it's not too alien to what we have right now, maybe you can articulate that. You can describe your vision and you can formulate a series of steps to get there and reverse engineer it, as you said. But there are other futures more distant on the horizon that we know exist that can motivate us to pour our love into our work, yet we do not know how to get there. We, we see maybe the first few steps of a path that then disappears into the hills and, and we have no idea what the path is, but we know that there is one. So how do we follow that path? The ordinary methods of planning and, and what I call solutioneering they actually create a path that very often leads back exactly to where we are already. And we end up spending enormous efforts just to run in circles. And that certainly looks like a lot of our society right now. In many ways, we're even going backward. We're not in the paradise that, that people foresaw in the 1960s, in the 1950s, you know, this technological utopia. In many ways, our problems are still with us and even worse than ever. So we have to let go of that particular kind of solutioneering and start to question not only our answers, but to question our questions. Are we even asking the right questions? The way that we formulate the problem, is that formula itself part of the problem? That's kind of vague. I could go into more detail, but I'll leave it at that for the moment. Yeah, but what, what about your... What, what's the future you wish to see? Let's say just like 10 years from now. Yeah, I could spend a few hours on this question, but I would like to see humanity dedicated toward healing earth, motivated by an understanding that this earth is alive and that every ecosystem, every place, every forest, every river, is every pod of whales is a sacred being. And to understand deeply that the health of the soil and the fish, the oceans, the whales, is our own health. Their well-being is our well-being. And to end, therefore, this exploitative relationship. And then, you know, practically to enact policies that are in line with this. Regenerative agriculture, for example. Marine reserves to, pr to protect and regrow the fish stocks. And this doesn't mean just leaving nature alone. It means always asking, how can we participate in the further coming alive of the world? Because it's not that hard. Actually, the technologies, the practices are already there. They're in, on the margins and what we call alternative or holistic. They could feed the world and they could inspire a sense of meaning and purpose that is so lacking today on the civilizational level. Like, what are we here for? We used to know 50 years ago, we're here to conquer nature, to rise above, you know. We don't know anymore. Why? This is one of the questions we have to start asking, like seriously, as a species, why are we here? Do you think now, after these special years that have passed now, and including this new dimension of... Um... Russia, Ukraine, war, and all of that that is happening around us, is that going to help us to answer that question better and at least to ask the question? 
anything that punctures the routines of normalcy gives us the opportunity to ask those questions. So here with this war, you know, we have we have a choice. Either we go more deeply into us versus them thinking, or we look at the bigger context, like what caused this war? Um, how did maybe we, you know, in the West, create the conditions for it? How, um, how are we individually still standing in war mentality? How do we change the psychic field so that it becomes a field of peace rather than a field of war? We could also take this as, as an opportunity to do that rather than, oh, here's a bad guy, you know, let's solve the world's problems by finding a bad guy and destroying the bad guy. We've been doing that for thousands of years. Yeah, so when will, will we learn, right? I was talking to um, some young people yesterday, you know, 17, 18 or so, and they were asking these questions like, haven't we moved beyond these basic needs of power games? Have we? Look at Twitter. Mm. Every part is a holographic mirror of the whole. As long as Twitter is a cauldron of rage and venom, then there is going to be war in the world. So how, how do you think that we could shift our culture from this kind of mm, taker mentality that is out there? I would return back to what I was saying earlier, which is to first recognize our readiness and our willingness to shift out of taker mentality and recognize our unwillingness too, on a personal level, starting at a personal level. Because when you say, how do we do that? It means two different things, okay? It means you and I, hey, Charles, how do we do this? Like, how do I do it and how do you do it? And then there's the second meaning is, how do we do that on behalf of society? How do we make some plan to change everybody from, you know, away from taker mentality? So I'm more interested right now in the first one, because I believe that as we personally go through that process, then we're able to invite others into it as well, because we're not being hypocritical. And we have an example. Uh, so it comes from a recognition of the true purpose of the human being. You're not actually a taker. That's not why you're here. Even in ecosystems, every species enriches the whole system. If you remove the wolves, the deer are not better off. It's not like they're in a competition with each other for well-being. The deer are worse off. Their population explodes, they strip all of the understory, and they starve. So this is true of a species. It's true of you and me. We are not takers. So, to, so that's where it starts. It's to to recognize the, the true human being. And then standing in that recognition, then maybe we develop different social policies, different political policies, different business policies, and a different life. But it comes from, from that basic shift in our story of what is a human being. I'm very much um, reflecting on this fact about kindness. I mean, actually the power of kindness, because I feel that kindness is really the highest form of intelligence. And when I say something like that, people go, well, you know, it's kind of half naive to think about kindness being the superpower in this world. And I'm thinking that it is, and it should be, because if kindness is the highest form of intelligence, it's because when we act from the place of kindness, we can never go wrong. We, can, we cannot hurt something or somebody. Yeah. So we have to understand what kindness is. It's not 
the same as just being nice. It's not just letting somebody have their way. It's not avoidance of uncomfortable truths. Really, I think the word comes from the same place as kin or kindred. So kindness is something that recognizes that we're family, that recognizes that we are inseparable, that we are relations, that you are my relation. In that recognition, then I know how to be kind. Thank you, Charles. Great, great addition. So my final question to you now is, what do you think the world needs most at this very time? For us to understand why we're here, what a human being is, who we are. The answer that I would wish depends on what aspect of your humanity is ready to unfold, what discovery you're ready to make as you move more into the fullness of who you are. But it is something like I am a sacred gift to the world, longing to give forward from that gift to serve life and beauty in, on earth. Something like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Charles. Thanks for sharing everything. And uh, to find out more, you will also find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. And I would like to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing Charles. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, Charles. Thanks. Thanks.